Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. That was wonderfully done, and praise God. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, as you're turning, I have to admit, I'm glad that God has stopped the earthquakes here in San Ramon for now. I was about ready to cancel if it kept up. Yeah, Lord's in control. It's people thinking. Imagine maybe there's even been a conversation or two some of you have been able to have with someone who doesn't know Christ just because nothing starts to rattle the nerves, no pun intended, like an earthquake, huh? Luke 19 chapter, or sorry, Luke chapter 19, let's just look at 10 verses, a wonderful story about a man named Zacchaeus. I was at work last night looking up a couple of things on the internet and all of a sudden a tune popped up on the computer and started playing from the whole room a children's tomb, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Wee little man was he, so that led to an opportunity. Luke 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Lord, we want to thank you for these words of yours. I want to thank you for these precious words. And we want to thank you for this true account of what took place, Lord Jesus, while you were walking on this earth. We pray that we might, uh, as really those who would be listening to this, if we were there in the crowd, take in what was taking place here and be able to apply this very personally to our lives. We would ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure we haven't, or I should I say, I'm sure we've heard over and over again, whether it's on the radio or on television or maybe in conversation, somebody used those words, Don't miss the opportunity of a lifetime. Don't miss this golden opportunity. It usually relates to refinancing, maybe purchasing a car, or some some significant thing that they want us to take advantage of now and purchase. Don't miss this opportunity. Cash in on it. Now's the time. You think about opportunities that come in our lives. Obviously, there are varying degrees of significance of the opportunities and choices that come our way, huh? Some aren't all that significant, and others are. Others are, and we remember those significant opportunities that came our way, and we said, wow, I'm glad I did this. Or maybe it would be a case of, well, I'm glad I didn't do this. And if you're interested in sports at all, As I am, I'm thinking of a day back in October. It was game six of the World Series with the San Francisco Giants. Too painful. 
It's taken this long before I could talk about it, Dean. <laughs> Two months have passed, so I'm okay. <laughs> I was at work, and we don't normally be able to watch television at work, but had it on, and five outs away from the Giants winning the World Series. Everything was good. Nobody was phoning 911, had my feet up on the desk, having a Diet Coke. I was watching before my eyes the opportunity, the opportunity for the San Francisco Giants, that golden opportunity, just right before my eyes, it just passed and before thousands and thousands of fans. Maybe there's millions of fans out there. They lost. And some of us knew that even though that just tied the series 3-3 at that point, it was over. It was over. And sure enough, game seven, they lost without a whole lot of spunk and fanfare. They missed that opportunity. And for a couple of days, I had to lay in bed all day. And No, not really. <laughs> One day. <laughs> it took a while to recover. But you know what? Truth be told, really, because it isn't hugely significant what happens, we, we moved on. And things far more important took center stage. Two weeks ago, I was watching the 49er game. <laughs> Not quite over this one yet. All the kicker needed to do was kick a 41-yard field goal. He didn't do it. And he's not on the team today, either, because of it. He missed, he missed an opportunity. And he's going to have to live with that. It's the cruel world of sports. But again, I would stress that this man, Zacchaeus, had an opportunity to meet Jesus Christ, as we will see here through the text. And he didn't miss it. Amen. Far more insignificant because this is issues that matter for eternity what happened with him. Baseball and football, football they're going to come and they're going to go. But this didn't happen here. I'd like us to look at this, this individual and see what the scripture tells us about him. I think uh, verse 1 is extremely important of chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. If you remember when I spoke last, I talked about a, a man named Bartimaeus. And really the same situation applies to Bartimaeus as applies here to Zacchaeus because this was the last visit of Christ to Jericho. It was his third and final trip. And he, now Jesus Christ, was on his way to Calvary. And it was Zacchaeus' last chance to physically see and hear and meet the Savior. And I'm always struck when I read this kind of a verse in Scripture because it makes me think of us here today, 2002. That maybe, as I said with Bartimaeus, and I would say it again today, and it would be what I would plead you to say over this Christmas season to your friends and family and loved ones and why you would want to encourage them to come here on the 13th of December and hear the gospel, is that it may be, for all we know, your last time to be saved. Because salvation is something that takes place here on the earth. And a choice that a man or woman makes must be made here on the earth. And it's one that should be made without delay. Last um, Sunday night I was working and uh, Oakland Flight Center called and said, there's an overdue aircraft. We'd like you to have some of your units check the airport to see if this B-17 
Beechcraft has come in and maybe they haven't told us. Sometimes that happens. They don't check in when they land. We sent um, some units to the airport and couldn't find the plane. And a couple hours later, Alameda County Sheriff's Department called and said, uh, we've got reports that uh, there was radio contact of a plane over Niles Canyon, and it's, uh, we haven't heard from the pilot since. Can you send some units up to Walpert Ridge at the very top of the Hayward Hills and look? And, of course, it's dark, pitch dark. It's black. You can't see anything. Well, early that morning, uh, Civil Air Patrol and Highway Patrol sent a helicopter up, and sure enough, sadly enough, that man crashed right into Polymer's Canyon, burned the plane on impact. Just like that, for that man, it was over. Interesting thing, though, was I was reading in the paper was back in 1999, he was involved in another airplane crash where on takeoff, he had too much uh, luggage on board and the plane crashed and he had some friends on board and they were injured and they sued. I'm sure there's a whole story behind that. And I wonder, when I read that, I wondered, he had an opportunity, he had a brush with death Back in 1999, I wonder if he, if he seized the moment, if he seized the day, if it woken him to the shortness and the brevity of life, and I wonder if he in any way was interested in spiritual things and became a Christian. This week, I attended a funeral of a close friend of ours. His uh, father passed away, long-time illness with Parkinson's. And you know, it's probably, and I don't think I'm morbid when I say this, but it's probably a healthy thing that every now and then we, we, we get to a funeral. Because when you get to a funeral, you, you, if you're caught up in all the things that are going on in life, and all the trappings, and all the pressures and trials, and sometimes we get too consumed by all of that, when you go to a funeral, you realize what really matters. This man had not been receptive to spiritual things, not responsive to Jesus Christ. Kind of a flat heart rate when it came to any interest in him. And on his deathbed, just hours before he passed into eternity, a man was sharing the gospel with him and shared the words of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And the man was unable to speak, hadn't been able to speak for several weeks. He simply opened his eyes and he just stared at what the man was saying. I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder where his heart was at that moment. And as we were out at the um, gravesite, and he was a, a war veteran and they were folding the flag and they were, you know, that wonderful ceremony and handing it to his wife, the casket is lowered lowered into the ground. And it's very sobering when you realize and you see that kind of situation. And I'm sure you have seen it maybe for your parents or loved ones. But it's a good thing to remember that we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. In Hayward, a couple of weeks ago, we had a 15-year-old boy that was shot and killed in a gang shooting. Alive one moment with breath, just like that, a bullet to the head, and then no longer on this earth. Last night, a woman called me. Her mother was, uh, had passed out, was unconscious, passed away at the age of 62. You realize that there was opportunities. And it's so incredibly important that if we know people who don't know Jesus Christ, or if you're in that situation here today, that you don't let those opportunities pass. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. 
It was going to be Zacchaeus' last opportunity. Could today be yours? Could it be someone that you know? What, about, what was Zacchaeus' desire here? Look at verse 2 of chapter 19. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. Being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. What was he? Who was he? Well, he was the chief of the publicans. He was a leader in the tax collector. And I don't know about you, but I'm not really overly fond of tax collectors even today. Unless they're my friend. It's not, they're not the kind of people that we think wonderfully about. The IRS, we just don't have a lot of warm feelings, do we? When we, when we think about the IRS and people who, you know, it's just one of those things that's a necessary, maybe evil, we would say, to pay taxes. But they're not the most popular people. Well, certainly in this time, they were hated and despised by all. Tax collectors in this context, they were Jews by birth. And what made it even worse for being a tax collector was that they worked for Rome. And so not only were they taking people's money, but they were also seen as traitors. They were making themselves rich by milking their own fellow countrymen. So they were hated. And that's why in verse 7, you can just see it. And when you hear it in the words, all the people saw this, it says, when Jesus said, I want to come to your house, and they began to mutter. You know what it is when we mutter, when we grumble and complain, and it's under our breath, but it's loud enough for people to kind of get a win. And we're not happy. And they weren't happy about this at all. In one sense, they could say, you know, I can understand if, I can understand if Jesus would, would go to somebody who was, was poor, why does he have to go to the house? Why does he have to invite himself to the house of a tax collector? Somebody who's a traitor. You know, there's something in us that would even say it's just not right. It just, humanly speaking, doesn't seem right that this is the kind of person that he wants to associate with and share the gospel with. But then Jesus isn't like us. Thank God in his reasoning. He was rich in this world's goods. It says very wealthy. But the contrast was is that he was poor towards God. You know, as we kind of analyze him a little bit, you could come to, the, I think, the right conclusion that all his money making, and there was plenty of it, and all the power that he had over people had failed to satisfy a need in this man. And you think about it today, it's not a whole lot different in the sense that what a lot of folks live for is money and power. And that can be such a huge snare to a man if those are the things that he has and he desires. Zacchaeus had this. And yet in all of it, you get a sense that he was a lonely guy because he was ostracized. He knew that he wasn't going to win the most popular Employee of the Month award from anybody. He knew that uh, there wasn't people that were going to be sending him lots of invitations for dinner. It was going to be none of that. He was ostracized, cut off, cut off from the synagogue and shunned by his own people. What could be worse? You could have all the money in the world. You could have all the power. But you can't enjoy it. And nobody loves you. The scriptures say over and over again that riches don't bring joy, peace and satisfaction, do they? Don't turn in your Bibles, but just listen to a couple of verses from Ecclesiastes. 
This is in chapter 1, the verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Kind of a downer, isn't it? We're talking about death and all like that. You probably know you need to be picked up here. Believe me, you will be before the morning's out. Praise God. Chapter 2, verse 8 and 11. I don't know what's happened here. For some reason, all of a sudden, the print gets smaller as I get older. He says here, I amass silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of a heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem. This is Solomon talking before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Imagine that. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon's conclusion in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So not only was the, the chief of the publicans a tax collector, not only was he rich in the world's goods, but poor towards God, but he's also a sinner. A sinner. Verse 7, that's what the people said. He has gone to, the, to be the guest of a sinner. Well, this shouldn't surprise us. Romans 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned. But some of us have a problem. We try and categorize that if you're a better sinner, then it's somehow better. And if you're a sinner that has obvious sins, such as this man had, that he is somehow worse than the self-righteous sinner who maybe is good, but full of pride. He was a sinner. And you know, the amazing thing is, despite the fact that he was a cheater, Capital C at that. And he was a turncoat. He was a traitor. Jesus Christ loved him. He loved him. And those who took offense at him being with him didn't understand their own sin and how Jesus loved sinners. I have to be honest with you. There's a part of me that would find it difficult if Jesus Christ right now was to have a divine appointment in my own mind with Osama bin Laden. Somebody that, in this country, in one sense, we, we despise. We, we would admit and we would be truthful if we said we find it difficult to love him, let alone like him. Truth be told, in a righteous way, we hate his acts. We hate what he's behind. And Jesus, though, he can love the sinner. He can love the sinner, but he hates the sin. Amen. And with you and I today, he loves us. But he hates if we sin. He doesn't like it. He can't accept it. He can't tolerate it. Romans 6.23, For the wages, the penalty, the cost of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ's love is just utterly amazing to me, isn't it? Amazing to you. I can't really take it in. My love for people often, I confess, is just so incredibly conditional. 
as to how I'm treated, how they respond to me. We can be so easily hurt and offended by people's actions toward us or their inactions toward us or what they say or what they don't say or you name it. But Jesus Christ with this man has a divine appointment with him and even though he sees him in all his sin, all the filth that he's done, he loves him. His rap sheet was long and varied. But that's what's unique about us as human, as sinners. It's varied. We haven't all committed the same sins, but we've got a long rap sheet before God. There's people I print out at work who have committed crimes, and it just seems like it goes on from here to eternity, the number of times they've been arrested. It's just long and varied. And the person who's never been arrested could think, you know what, I'm all not that bad. In the world's eyes, I'm pretty good. But in the eyes of a holy judge, it isn't the case at all. All have sinned. What did he want? What does the text tell us? A very important thing. Very simple at that. Something that I trust we want and we have experienced. He wanted to see Jesus. Not too complicated. He just simply wanted to see this man. You wonder, well, why did he want to see him? Maybe it was because another tax collector named Matthew had intrigued him. He'd become one of Jesus' disciples. He was a fellow tax collector. Must have known him, this man being a leader. Was that the reason he wanted to see him? Was it curiosity? Was that the initial reason he wanted? Do you know anyone today that's curious about Jesus Christ? It's a wonderful opportunity when a person's curious to start to feed him. Jesus was able to do this very well. To intrigue and to be able to ask questions and get people thinking. Maybe he had heard of Christ's wonderful works, the things that he had done, the things he had said. News about him, it wasn't always wonderful press. There was a lot of bad press out there, but there was press. People were hearing about him. Was that the motivation? Is that what drew him to want to see him? Maybe there was the beginnings of a soul thirst, realizing that, you know, I got all this stuff. I got power and I got money, but what else do I have? Maybe there was a need there. Maybe he realized, you know what, I don't have peace with God. And somehow, maybe in all of what he had heard, he realized, you know what, I have no guarantee whatsoever that if I was to die tonight, I'd go to heaven. I'd be with God. What's going to happen when I die? Those are the kind of things sometimes you can't predict. When a person starts to think about it, God's spirit begins to move. Remember how he moved in your heart and he showed you your need. Have you sought to see Jesus Christ today? Is he who you want to see? Our eyes can get so distracted, can't they? And even at this wonderful time of the year, unofficial, I guess, maybe kick off to Christmas, if you like, the day after Thanksgiving. And it's going to be busy, isn't it, over the next 25 days? There's going to be a host of choices, a host of things that you can do. There's going to be things that are going to just crowd your mind. But through it all, we don't want to miss Jesus Christ, do we? Because this is a wonderful time just to gaze on him and again praise God for him, for the wonderful son. Well, you know what? Anytime somebody wants to see Jesus, there are obstacles. And there were obstacles here, weren't they? Look at verse 3. This was a very practical one, but it was an obstacle nonetheless. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Wherever there is, a genuine desire to be saved, the devil will see to it that there's plenty of opposition, huh? Yes. 
I imagine you could tell us, if we had time this afternoon, when you were seeking the Savior, that you are now conscious of some of the tactics of the enemy and how he wanted to cause distraction. Or maybe people that you're wanting to share your faith with. Right now, you clearly see how the devil is at work in wanting to oppose. That's the reality. That's the warfare that we're in. And that's what even was happening here. There were obstacles. He was little of stature. There was that physical... I don't want to say disability, even in case anyone here is short. But there was that limitation. And then, of course, it says here in the text, the crowd. Man, those are two powerful words. The crowd. How often the crowd keeps the sinner, keeps you and I from seeing Jesus Christ. It varies, doesn't it? People you know, or maybe it was things that you experienced when you were searching for Christ. It's the fear of man. Who isn't at one time or another in their life fearful of man? Fearful of man's reaction? Fearful of what a man or woman will say? Last night I brought my Bible with me to work and uh, my um, notes and I was just reviewing them and Someone said, oh, you're reading the Bible, just what I need to read, huh? As I had left it at my workstation to go to work, I said, yeah, here's the text. And I opened up to Luke chapter 19. I said, why don't you read this on your, my, while I'm gone? I'm going to ask her tonight if she did, but she didn't bring it up when I came back after an hour. The crowd. Are you afraid of laughter? Was the crowd here going to laugh at Zacchaeus? Were they going to ridicule him? Was there going to be persecution? Was there going to be loss of popularity? For our young people, that's an incredibly big challenge, isn't it? It's so important. Our world puts such a huge emphasis on being accepted and being part of the crowd that to step out of it, it's a challenge. You know, I found, though, funny enough, that when I was in high school, I became a Christian when I was a senior in high school. I was relatively introverted and Absolutely. Uh, when I went to my class reunion, my 25-year-old class reunion a couple years ago, nobody remembered me really. But it's not really surprising because for my freshman, sophomore, and junior year, I was just totally introverted. But it was only when I became a Christian in my senior year that I became, got out of myself and the Spirit of God gave me a boldness to talk about Him and to share Christ and to be involved in a Bible study in the leadership level. Uh, prior to that, there really was nothing to my high school years that was any significance became significant when I became a Christian. And there was an opportunity to shine for him in a dark place where there's all the peer pressure. And you know what? It was kind of refreshing to just be different from everybody else and to be able to say, I'm a Christian. And even though 99% of the folks are want to go this direction, that Jesus Christ tells us to go in this direction. And you know what? There are a few on this side of that 99% who say, you know what? I admire you for not following the crowd and being like this. We need to encourage our young people to stand true and firm for Jesus. There's obstacles. What are yours? What were the obstacles? Thank God by His Spirit that He removed those from you and they haven't become an issue anymore. What was His plan? Look at verse 4. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Him since Jesus was coming that way. They were 30 to 40 feet tall, those sycamore fig trees. They had a short trunk and spreading branches. So you can see this situation. This little short man is running and he climbs up into this sycamore tree and it's strong enough to hold him. And he's there to look at Jesus Christ. He showed his earnestness in doing that, didn't he? 
I don't know. That wouldn't have been something I'm sure Zacchaeus did every other week was to go climb a sycamore tree. Maybe if he was a younger kid, you'd say, well, kids climb trees. But this was an adult man who climbed the sycamore tree to see what was going on. You know, he probably thought he was hidden in the tree. Maybe Jesus didn't see him at that point, just to kind of get an overview of what's going on. But Jesus Christ saw him. And you know, really the posing question here in the drama of the moment, if you like, is Jesus Christ showed his earnestness too, as Zacchaeus did in wanting to see Christ. And really the posing question, and the posing question for you today, and for those of our friends and family members who don't know him, is how could a man... How can a woman who's lost find his way into the kingdom? And the answer to that is, he couldn't. But he could be found and brought in if someone was prepared to come and to seek for him. And Jesus Christ was willing to do that. I love those words of scripture when a man asked him if he could be cleansed. And Jesus says those three words, I am willing And he was willing to do that for this man. And the invitation in verse 5, look at it again. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. It's really interesting that Jesus said that. It's the only case on record where Jesus invites himself to a home. It's the only one. And you think, wow, well, who was it? Was it a religious fella? You know, somebody prim and proper? As I've already said, and the text tells us, not at all. It's a publican, a cheater, a traitor. I tell you, we never would have found out the gospel ourselves and just how Jesus works because we would think of it the way we would write it as opposed to how God has and how he works and moves. And so the seeking sinner and the Savior soon meet. And there's some interesting little things here to see. What did the Savior do? What did he do for you and I? And what can he do for us if we don't know him? He came to where he was at. He met him where he was at. This is a wonderful thing about the Lord. He met the woman at the well. He met the woman who was caught in adultery. Over and over again in the Gospels, we see where he meets us where we're at. One of the things I trust you were thankful for after you ate all your turkey on Thursday and probably fell asleep after that was in it all and over this holiday weekend you're just so thankful for Jesus Christ that he meets you where you're at. He knows you. He loves you. And he provides and cares for you like none other. Trust our hearts are thankful for that. He saw him in all his sin. And he saw him in all his need. And he knew all about him. He called him. He said to him, as we said, we read there, come down immediately. Someone has said, and it's kind of well put, it's a different play on the words, that salvation is a, is a come down. Many are up the tree of self-righteousness, pride, morality, respectability, religiousness, etc., 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 They're up that tree. They're really boasting in their own accomplishments. They're boasting in the things that they've done or the things they haven't done. And they're up that tree of self-righteousness. Basically thinking that, you know what, on the day 
when I have to meet God, there's going to be that scale. And they're pretty certain, pretty certain really, that the good is going to really outweigh the bad. And they're going to make it in. Some are a little bit more, you know, sensitive and thinking it's going to maybe go like this. I was on the scale the other day it's at the gym and I was thinking it was going to be way down here. And then I had to keep moving the marker closer to reality of where it really was. And I thought it has to be these pants I'm wearing today or something. People want to have it always balance in their favor. But the truth of the scripture says it is never going to balance in your favor without Jesus Christ. Because he saw him in that. And he said, come down. Get off that lofty tree you're on. Of thinking you're so good. Humble yourself. And he promised, Jesus said, to be with them. I must stay at your house today. I want to be in your presence. This is the awesome thing that the God of, of, of all gods, the, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the creator of heaven and earth, wants to be in our presence. It's a marvelous thing that he says, I invite you when we break bread to remember me. I am here with you. I want, I'm inviting you. If, you're, if you know him. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. It's a wonderful figurative expression of what Jesus is doing. And how he's knocking and he's wanting to invite himself. He was saying that to Zacchaeus. I want to come to your house today. Well, what was Zacchaeus' response? Here's this golden opportunity. What's he going to do with it? What will you do with it? It says in verse 6, So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Immediate. No delay. Jesus is calling. I'm not going to put this off any longer. I'm going to come down immediately. You get the sense that as fast as he ran up that tree, he ran down it to see the Savior. Scripture tells us over in a couple of places, today is the day of salvation. I don't know if one of your tendencies is, or you know people whose tendency is, is to be a procrastinator. And we procrastinate about a lot of things. Some of them aren't all that significant. Some are. But we should never, we should not procrastinate. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. The opportunity is today. He just sees it. Notice in verse 6 as well, his response. Not only was he quick, but he was joyful. Well, think who he came to meet. Why not? I was watching on television the other day. um, I rarely ever see this program. I was just flipping channels and came across Oprah. And uh, there was Oprah's favorite things. Kind of a thing on Christmas. Presents that people should have for Christmas and the audience was being showed by her all the different things that Oprah loves. I think it might have been the ten most favorite things. I'm not sure. And she was showing these one into ten and then giving a lot of them away, those, what those favorite things were to the audience. And I was watching and there were just people were just smiling and they were clapping and laughing and hugging. Like they were getting these presents. And I was thinking, boy, these people are really excited about this. And some of them weren't all that exciting to me. You know, they, okay. You know, but I don't know if it was the cameraman saying or a guy there saying, you know, everybody applaud now and cheer and all that. 
But they just looked so delighted. And I thought, well, how, how silly in one way to get so excited about these presents. But nonetheless, contrast that to if we're Christians today, the joy we ought to have when we think of the riches we have in Jesus Christ. You and I today, if you're a Christian, you, have, you know the forgiver. You know the one who's forgiven you of your sin. You know the peacemaker. You know the creator. The redeemer. You know what is, we were singing here, what it means, a pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. You know the reality of thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Zacchaeus had a response here and he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. If anyone, sh- if anyone should have a long face, if there's any reason people should have a long face, it should not be the people of God. Not to say, not to say that I am not sensitive to the trials and tribulations and the heartaches of life. Oh yes, I know them too. But we know a joy because we know God. And he sustains us and gives us comfort and peace like none other. This is something we know. This is something we possess that others who don't know him don't. Are we holding on to that? I hope not. I hope not. Notice what it goes on to say as we're wrapping up in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up. You know, when I read verse 6, just backing up, he came down and at once and welcomed him gladly. Right there, I believe, right there, Zacchaeus was saved. There was, a, there was a change right there. I don't know what his countenance was like before, but I love that. He welcomed him gladly. Amen. There was a little booklet that came out years ago. I don't know if you've ever come across it. My Heart, Christ's Home. Yeah. Wonderful book. When Jesus Christ knocks on the door of our lives, he wants access to every room. And rather than having a Jesus, I give you this, and you can have that, and I'm going here, but I'd rather you stay behind, you welcome him gladly and say, everything I have is yours. Everything, everywhere I go, every key, if it represents an area of my life, is yours. All the people saw this in verse 7 and began to mutter, he's gone to the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Wow. That's proof of conversion. I mean, that's a powerful truth. Think of where this man was just minutes before. What was his attitude and what he was like? What he was known for? Some have said money is often the acid test. But this was an example of true conversion. And it really illustrates the promise and truth of Luke 18, verse 27. What is impossible with men is possible with God. Nobody would have probably thought, how could this ever happen to this guy Zacchaeus, that he would change like this? But he did. And he showed it. And it was a radical change. He gave more than the law demanded. Paul mentions to the Thessalonian believers, you know, how people are commenting on their change and how they, people have seen how they've turned from idols to serve the living God. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, Paul says in Corinthians, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new has come. When Christ comes into our lives, there's an inward change which must result in an outward action of change. Some people make the mistake of thinking, and Jesus is the one who confirms this in Matthew 7, 
that just simply because you may profess to be a Christian, if you still do evil, if you're not following him, then it really needs to be examined. What is your profession all about? But some people think as soon as I said, yes, I want you in my life, if there's no change. What I read in the scriptures, you've got some reason for serious concern if you really know him. And then concluding, the Savior says these wonderful words to him after this man shows his repentance and desire to be different. I can only imagine the jaws had, were down to the floor of the people who were hearing this from this character. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of God, or for the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. And that he did. And that he did wonderfully. He has assurance of salvation. He didn't have that before. You've got it today if you know him. Why? And just as the sisters were singing a few minutes ago, because the Savior came. He came. And all this month, particularly, we're going to be thinking about his coming. And we shouldn't miss the opportunity just to worship and adore him if we know him. And to use it as an opportunity to reach out to people who are trying to figure out what this holiday season is all about with all the different trappings. Scripture says in John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly. Praise God. Let's close. Lord, we thank you so much today that you are a God who is personal. We appreciate so much, Lord Jesus, that you came into our world. We thank you for coming, for walking among sinful men. And Lord, we just thank you that you love each person. Thank you how you showed that to Zacchaeus. We thank you that this man was moved by your spirit and responded and was saved. And one day in heaven, we're going to meet him. And we're going to talk to him. More important, Lord, though, we want to just say we want to see you. We can't wait for the day in heaven when we're going to see you face to face and we're going to see those nail prints and we're going to be able to be in your presence forever and ever and ever. In the meantime, Lord, we pray that just as we enter now this month of December that you will help us to stay close to you. That, dear Lord, we will use this as an opportunity not to be bashful and frightened of man and fearful, but, Lord, that we might have boldness in declaring you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.